Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. How are we restored in right relationship with God and how we restore a right relationship to other people and, you know, biblically our neighbors? That's very, very important. But I think also we have a tendency to stop there. Hi, I'm Gabe Lyons. I'm so glad you joined us today. We're having an incredible conversation with a leader. I can't wait for you to meet Natasha Sistrunk Robinson. She has an incredible story of, of growing up in South Carolina, becoming a U.S. Naval officer, moving on to Homeland Security, and then starting to use all those gifts of leadership and experiences to now disciple and mentor middle school, high school girls to speak all over the country, around the world, and just a just an awesome person. And I can't wait for you to hear and, and just hear a little more of her story and her perspective. Now, some of what we're going to get into today is important, and I want you to catch this. Today, I'm going to ask Natasha some of these tough questions. I mean, the the questions that I think I'm finding are are more difficult for some people to answer about what does it look like to repair some of the past? What does it look like for us to move beyond just, you know, apologizing or repentance and reconciliation to really the, the hard work of how do we fix some of these things that are broken? But you're also going to hear from her just an awesome sense of wisdom and discernment and how she thinks about how her voice is used, where she shows up. And I'm excited for you to just meet her. She recently wrote a book called A Sojourner's Truth. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, her courage to write this book and some of the ideas that come out of it. So if you'll just listen in with me now as I interview Natasha Sistrunk Robinson. Natasha, I'm so glad you could join us today and excited for the Q audience to just hear more of your story. And you wrote it recently in a book called A Sojourner's Truth. But will you just give us a little bit of a summary? You've had quite a journey from childhood to now being a leader, somebody who's mentoring others, speaking, you become quite a voice. And I just want our listeners to better understand just what what that journey has been like for you to get to this moment. Sure. So I was Born um, in South Carolina, raised in a small town of Orangeburg, which is about 45 minutes south of the state capital of Columbia. Um, The unique thing about that community is it is a town of two HBCUs, two historically black colleges and universities, um, one private and one state-sponsored public school. And so that really shaped uh, my my culture and experience. Uh, I grew up with my mom and, and dad. I'm the oldest of three children. So I was leading from um, a very early age. And I um, I just really love education and learning. I was a competitive athlete. And uh, all of those kind of background experience led me to the Naval Academy. And I went to the Naval Academy uh, where they really their mission is to make leaders. And I graduated from there and I was commissioned as an officer in the United States Marine Corps. I served six years in the Marine Corps. So I was a financial management officer by trade. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I went to um, work at the Department of Homeland Security. By that time, I had married and had our our daughter. Um, So I have a daughter. Her name is Ashley. She's 11 years old. Been married to my husband, Durante, for this year will be 15 years. And so I I served at the Department of Homeland Security for a few years. 
And during that time there, I really felt called by um, the Lord to write uh, as, as ministry. I was already leading small group and in, in, in discipling people and, and Bible studies in my home and uh, was doing some of that, starting to do some of that more formally in the church as well. And I just thought, I just really wanted to become a better Bible teacher. And I thought, if I was going to teach the Bible, then I should probably prepare for that. I went to seminary um, at Gordon-Conwell uh, Theological Seminary at Charlotte campus and got my Master's of Arts in Leadership and started to write for publication while I was on that journey. And that led to, at this point, I've, I've published A Mentor for Life and then um, my new book that you're going to talk about, A Sojourner's Truth. I uh, also wrote a Bible study on the Nicene Creed called Hope for Us. And so just, just writing um, as ministry, uh, leading a nonprofit here in North Carolina called Leadership Links, and we are mentoring, discipling, character building, and, and leadership for, for young people. Um, youth, middle and high school girls is, is my primary focus um, right now for that ministry and organization. And so pr- pretty busy. Got our yes. hands full here. <laughs> you, you have a lot going on, and I, I respect that. And it's just unique to see your journey really in you know, military service, public service, deciding you wanted to, you know, you're entering into uh, the public square with your work, whether it was Homeland Security or as an officer, and then God calling you to take what you'd learned there and then start pouring it into young people and, and really start addressing critical topics in our society. And I feel like that's where you go in a sojourner's truth. And tell me how you're feeling about the, the temperature right now in American culture as it relates to some of these difficult topics that our society tends to go through periods of time where they wrestle with and talk about sometimes they go to the back burner, but it feels like the last few years, there's just been a heightened interest. And I would say a a desire from a lot of people to just get into the truth. And that's, that's where you go with this book is, is, and even the subtitle choosing truth and freedom in a divided world. And, and, and I I know you just believe if, if the truth isn't on the table, it's really difficult to actually find healing and find unity. So, so give us a little sense of what these last few years has felt like. I'm certain it's probably felt providential that God's called you into this work at such a time as this. Sure. Uh, I think the, the big picture for me is that, you know, coming from a community that was predominantly African-American, the truth was always on the table for me, right? right? From very right. age. And I start, you know, sharing stories about that as early as chapter one in the book. And so I think what we're wrestling with is this reality, um, this thought that, you know, we got a black president and somehow we were in a post-racial society. And I never believed that personally. Um, but I think there was some, you know, kind of celebration of that. And it should have been. But I, I also believe that there were a lot of elephants in the room just in our culture, in our country, in our history that still today we have not really addressed. And so I think um, while there was a lot of rejoicing in not so much the candidate or the party, but that, wow, this thing actually finally happened um, Mm -hmm. but this reality that there's a lot, you know, um, particularly with the rise of the police shootings of, of, uh, of black people that was of concern, of concern. I think the whole mass incarceration thing was, was a lot and still is a a lot concern, particularly of people of color and black people. And so we've been consistent in having these conversations, but I think what's happening now 
is uh, other people outside of that community are becoming more um, knowledgeable and educating themselves about it. I think the political climate has been both harmful, but also helpful in challenging us to like what we really believe and who we are as an American people. Um, and, and I think the church needs to also have a conversation about that. And I also think this, this reality of, of our um, broken immigration system has put a lot of these um, injustices, particularly concerning race and ethnicity, and I will also say poverty on the forefront of a lot of our conversations. Yeah, and, and it's producing, you know, both uh, the, the beginnings of what you could see as some healing opportunities that are coming. It also has been an opportunity for those who've been maybe hiding some of their bigotry or racism to feel more freedom to like spout it out and to, and to really be honest about some of the things that, that maybe many of us had thought had moved on and that we were in a new place. And I think that's been a unique moment for the church. We, we had Duke Kwan this past year at our Q event give a talk on reparations. But what he did was really make this wonderful, just theological case. You know, we talk a lot about repentance when we, when we think about disunity or we think about racism, we think about any area where there's been brokenness. We then tend to move towards reconciliation, and that's where a lot of us have stopped, you know, in terms of the discussion or the church's role or we need, we need reconciliation in our country. And he moves on to, to really make the theological case that as a, as a believer— we must care about repair. We, we go back and figure out how do we repair those things that have been broken and, and really inspired uh, the, the group. It was the number one rated talk at Q this past year with 35 presenters and topics and presentations. He got a standing ovation because he did such a wonderful job, I think, of inspiring this group to say, how do we go back and, and really figure out what repair looks like and get creative in that? Not from a place of just guilt, but from a place of inspired creativity to say, let's, let's do some things, and, and invited the whole community to start thinking about that and working on that this past year. I'm curious from your perspective, that whole discussion around repair and, and the idea of that, how have you processed that? And as you're speaking to groups and as you write and as you're challenging audiences to really think about what's the next level of how we can not let this just be another moment that passes where we look back 50 years from now and go, yeah, we talked about it then, but nothing really happened. What do you think are some of the opportunities we have in this moment to, to be serious about what repair looks like? Absolutely. I think I think we have, as a church, we have to have conversations about um, the holistic ways that we do or don't disciple people. Um, and I think we also have to have important conversations about leadership, right? And so I think mm-hmm. um, particularly most of my public ministry has been within evangelical space. And, and what that has looked like and meant oftentimes is really talking to people about our faith, not just being about an individual thing, you know? And I think that's what reconciliation does to some extent, because it's talking about what's happening relationally, which is important. You know, how are we restored in right relationship with God and how we restore a right relationship to other people and, you know, biblically our neighbors. And I think that's very, very important. But I think also we have a tendency to stop there. <laughs> and so, and, and this is how conversations, when we're talking about race in particular, it can end with, we'll just go get you a friend or you'll get you a black friend or get you a friend as a person of color. Mm-hmm. And, and what that doesn't do, and this is what rape reparations does do, it does not talk about the systemic injustice that's happening. Right. And so sin affects all of us in different ways. It does affect us relationally, but it also affects us systemically, politically, education, housing, all these things, health. Right. And so this is where reparations come in. And I think we put reparations out there. A lot of times people are thinking just about, well, they want to check. They just want a handout. And it's like, that's not what we're talking about. Biblically, we're talking about 
justice. And what Isaiah writes about in, in chapter 58 is us being the restorer of the breach. Mm-hmm. That I think that reparations is really an act of justice, of taking a system that is broken and making what's broken right. And what we realize is that when we're committed to that work of justice, which is different than charity, I'm, I'm very, you know, mm-hmm. about being that too when I talk. We're committed to that work of justice. It takes a long time and we have to be committed for the long haul. And we have to understand that's a systemic thing and not just an individual thing. Yeah, that's wonderful. And and I think to the discussion we're having at Q is how it can begin with the church. Instead of getting caught up in a governmental discussion, which can come sometimes be distracting or overwhelming or, or be one part of a discussion, to actually say, no, in the church, it can begin now. We don't have to wait on anybody else. There's things we can be doing within our communities, within our own local churches to be processing what that looks like and how to how to be a part of it. Natasha, I, I wonder, so I've many friends of color who are tired of this conversation too, you know, that it's kind of, kind of getting to this moment where it's like, you know what, I feel like I've been talking to people who don't look like me or think like me for a long time, being patient, trying to bring them along to understand, to get better educated on our history and, and what role white supremacy has played in some of our institutions and structures and our society. But now I'm just getting tired. I'm tired of bringing people along. I'm, I'm worn out. And, and I have some friends who go, so I'm done with it. And then I have others who say, you know what, I can't be done with it. This is, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and without God, without the call of Jesus to be a part of even restoring and repairing these relationships, I, you know, I wouldn't even be able to hang in this, but I'm going to hang in and, and help. And I know that's been really helpful to people like me who, who needed that kind of patience to help me better understand and learn and get educated and process what this looks like. And, and so I'm just curious for you personally, like how are you feeling right now about this conversation and are you kind of hopeful or, or are you discouraged or, or where are you at? I'm, I'm hopeful, but I will tell you that I'm being more uh, discerning about how I engage and who I engage with. Mm. I think that's wise um, because I say to people when I'm speaking and teaching, I said, you know, I personally am not one to um, be negative or, or uh, be discouraging by, by folks who are on a journey. And 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 I I think we're all on a journey. We're on different parts of this continuum and, and our learning and what we've experienced and all those things. What I what my my patience has grown thin with though is for people who saying I want to learn and, and help me, but they're not willing to do the work, <laughs> right? right. And, and that because because it puts on top of the oppression and the marginalization and the injustice, then it puts an additional emotional strain on a person of color to do the work for you. Mm. That is an act of injustice, right? And Mm -hmm. on top of everything else, that's an act of injustice. And I'm not willing to do that anymore. Um, I think there was time I was doing that because I thought that people really wanted to. And then I realized, you know, after years of doing this in different environments, it's like, oh, well, well, I need to know that you're really willing to do the work because the rest of us are doing the work, (laughs) right? So I think that the the main thing is, is that for people, for um, our brothers and sisters who are, you know, like yourself in majority of culture, at least now, um, to understand that there's a level of trauma that has happened and it's a generational trauma uh, for people of color. And so when you are asking for stuff to be um, cognizant of that, right? To be conscious of that and to say, um, and what I asking this person to do, is it not like, is it beneficial for them in addition to being beneficial for me? 
And so I think that's very, very important. And, and even just naming that and saying that and having that conversation says to that person of color that I value you. And I'm not just saying that. I'm showing that with my action. I'm showing that with my concern mm. of saying, how, how is this, how is you showing up into this space, speaking into this space, teaching in this space? Is that a, is that a healthy thing for you to do now? Right, right. right. Yeah, that's good. That's great advice. And I think it uh, makes a lot of sense as to discerning. And I think that's a, a wise way to put it and to be thinking about it, because I think there are those places that are just, you know, interested in kind of tiptoeing into a conversation, but not really willing to, to address the depths of what's required if you're going to push into this discussion and move it to action. And I just appreciate and I want to thank you for your courage to speak to so many of these topics and also to be willing to to have that kind of perspective and willing to show up and to help people come along and, and to learn and get exposed sometimes for the first time, you know, to conversations that you would think they've heard five years ago or, you know, would be had had understood about history, but then you realize a lot of people just haven't. And being able to kind of walk people down that journey, but to see a genuine hunger to learn and to grow and to grow together is, is I think, essential. Tell me this as we kind of move to closing out our time together, but a Sojourner's Truth, if, if you were to describe to this audience who hasn't read your book yet and they've got a, they've got a stack of 15 books, you know, sitting on their desk or their nightstand and they're, they're trying to get through them all, they desire to get through them all, but they, they, they're going to have to pick one of them. Why, why should they pick up this book right now? I think a good response to that is to go back to your previous question and depending on the audience is to say, well, who is it that you're reading right now? And who is it that you're listening to for sermons and podcasts and news? Mm. And all of those people are predominantly white and male, then there, there really is no way for you to contribute and be part of the solution. There, there is no way because you're not equipped, you're not prepared. You're not thoughtful. You're not prayerful about these issues and seeing these issues from a perspective of someone that hasn't had your, your, your background or experience. And so I think the two sentences I say here um, at the very beginning of the preface of the book of saying, we need to hear more stories that originate with and feature voices and experiences of people of color. And we need to see more men and women working and leading together across generations to advance the kingdom of God. And so when I was writing um, this book and sharing the story um, with, the, with the biblical foundation of Moses and the Exodus narrative, I really was doing that with that understanding of what it is that the church, not as a building, but as a people, how are we going to show up and be prepared to have a positive influence and in, in impact understanding all these things that are going on. And we really can't do that if we don't, we don't know the story and we don't know the history and we don't understand how the theology has shaped some of these things to be how they are. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And I, I would encourage everybody listening to do that because if our range of voices is so limited and isolated and it's creating an echo chamber, that's not growth. That's just staying stagnant or possibly dying. And to expand the number of voices and stories that are being told is only going to help us inspire imagination creativity and an understanding and a, a discernment uh, that Natasha's talking about towards how we should engage, how we can engage, what God's gifted us with that could be a part of what he's trying to do to bring repair to this story and to, to this injustice. Well, Natasha, I'm grateful for your time, for spending it with us, for your hard work. I know writing a book and sharing such personal stories is a very hard thing to do. It's, a, it's quite a journey and a process, but thank you for doing that for putting your own story out there for more and more people to learn from, be inspired from, but, and also hopefully to lead them to having more honest and truthful dialogue about such important 
issues and topics and stories at a moment where it's, it's, it really matters. It matters probably more than it ever has that we delve into this. So thank you for your faithfulness in that. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. I love talking to Natasha. I love how real she is, how much she's willing to challenge us to think well about how we're engaging this conversation, even how she just processes and thinks through the kind of conversation she's even willing to spend time on and invest in. It's a good reminder to all of us to invest our time wisely, but also to make sure we're growing, that we're not just talking about ideas, but that it's really changing and transforming the way in which we're living our life. Her book, A Sojourner's Truth, Choosing Truth and Freedom in a Divided World, was recently released. I'd encourage you to get it, put it on that nice and put it at the top of the stack, start reading it, get into understanding her story and her perspective. And as you do that, I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to find that, man, this kind of honesty is something we love. We, we crave it. In addition to that, Natasha also blogs, and she has a great website called assistasjourney.com, A-S-I-S-T-A-S Journey. Dot com where she's writing frequently just about current issues, about what's happening, about leadership, about what it looks like to engage some of these difficult topics. Most recently, she wrote a piece on the Catholic boys and that whole discussion around Nathan Phillips and what happened at the Capitol. So she's trying to help people really think well about the kinds of issues and topics that we're hearing about in the news, but need to process and need to put it through this lens of what does Christ call us to do in the midst of this. So I hope you'll engage with her work even beyond just her book as you get introduced to her. And then I also am excited to say she's going to be with us at Q 2019 this year. She's going to be part of giving a talk, the main stage, talking about leadership, talking about what it looks like to kind of move beyond these different cultures in our world today, to be in divided places, but do so with grace. And it's just going to be an inspiring talk for all of us who this is the new world we live in. This is the new reality. And we can do that with confidence and leadership. We don't have to shrink back from it. We actually have something to offer to the world when we're doing this from a humble place and a place of understanding how every other person is made in the image of God and do our respect, do our love, do our kindness, do our charity, even if we don't understand or don't align or believe what they believe. This is part of how we see healing happening within our culture, our society, our communities, our workplaces, our churches. And so I'm excited that Natasha is going to be with us over those few days and that you're going to get to meet her in person. So to learn more about Q 2019, go to qideas.org slash 2019. That's qideas.org slash 2019. You can see our topics. We've got so many great topics and presenters. I can't wait for you to meet these people. I can't wait for you to hear these talks. I can't wait for you to just be in the room and, and meet other people who care about this. I mean, the content of the of the three days is impressive, I think. I mean, I think the leaders that come and present just their best ideas, they work so hard on these talks because they know it helps drive forward really important, deep conversations for leaders who are Christians and who take seriously their calling in the world. But I think beyond that, it's the relationships that form as you sit around tables, as you meet new people, as you go into these experiences, these breakout opportunities of Q&A with these presenters and topics and ideas, the long lunches and dinners, the evening after parties, the experiences. You're spending time with other people, and you'll draw great hope and encouragement from that at a time when our world feels somewhat discouraged, disunited, a lot of Christians just don't quite know what to say or how to engage anymore, you're going to find yourself leaving Q2019 with you and your friends going, okay, we got something to do now. We're, we're going to take seriously how to move forward 
the work we've been called to do, number one, with excellence. But secondly, some of these important dialogues that we've been hearing from the next generation, from our colleagues, our friends, we're going to be smarter about how we engage them and how we lead. So I hope you'll join us, qideas.org slash 2019. I can't wait to see you there. Thanks again for being a part of this Q podcast. Share it with your friends. Have them follow us on iTunes or anywhere they listen to podcasts, just looking for the Q podcast, where weekly we'll be having more and more of these talks and conversations and interviews that hopefully just prepare you for the conversations you're already having on a daily basis. And in closing, I just want you to hear some of the best moments from Q 2018. In this world and in the world that's coming, the restoration of culture is the recognition of persons. That is what the early Christians did for Rome. It is what we must do today. If you're living a life of freedom and purpose, will you give the keys of freedom to those who are begging for freedom, whether you believe they deserve it or not? And God calls us wherever we're able to open our hearts and our homes to those that are most in need, to get up close and personal, to love the poor as our families, not as a project. Am I politically homeless? Are we? If so, so be it. The crisis for Christians is not that we are politically homeless. The crisis is that we ever thought we could make our home in politics at all. If our principles, our values, our beliefs do not have the power, the agency, to inform and shape our policies and our practices, then our principles are impotent. They're powerless, ultimately useless, and at worst, even unjust. When you're crushing it, somebody gets crushed. And when you're killing it, it's normally somebody who dies. And if we're not careful, it's the people in our ministry who are crushed and who die by our desire for power. You see, we all know that our ambitions and our appetites and our longings for approval can take us to places that our characters won't sustain. The reality is there's an enemy who wants nothing more than to destroy you, destroy me, destroy your churches, tempt you. He'll disguise himself in every possible way. And do we really take enough time to talk about that? Basically, terrorism is is fear in action. We have to find the antidote to fear. And love cancels out fear. The base of fame is everybody wants to be known. Everybody wants to be known. And they look at fame as the ultimate being known. But the thing is, if you're known by people you love, that's all the known you need. There is no such thing as a social revolution without a cultural one. It just doesn't happen. So the demon has to be invited through valid authority to do something extraordinary beyond temptation. Once he's in your life in that extraordinary way, you have to renounce and reject whatever the invitation was to break the rights that he's been given. I believe that the world is watching and waiting to see the Christians actually love one another. That we would actually not be a people who were known for what we were against, but known for what we are for. The reason we have all this chaos in our culture is because God's people are not living out kingdom virtues in every area of their lives. We need to recover this biblical truth. True repentance doesn't just regret. True repentance repairs. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. 
Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.